0: Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium.
1: Broadcasting around the entire world from Austin, Texas, via Thriller X, and supported entirely by listeners like you.
2: Bitcoin, crypto, VR, NFTs, music, finance,
1: interviews, markets, panels. And
2: rice.
1: Welcome to Killer South by South West.
2: Now, here is your host, Conrad Gonzalez.
3: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller South by Southwest. Today is March 16, 2021, and we are covering, that's right, Bitcoin here at South by. And believe it or not, uh, there is a couple panels today that um, kind of, you know, had that Bitcoin narrative to it, believe it or not. You know, we had to, we had to search, we had to search wide, <laughs> we had to look closely, but out of the hundreds of panels that were today, because there were quite a few, um, Bitcoin fixes this, believe it or not. And uh, one of the one of the first panels that um, really took me by surprise uh, and probably, believe it or not, this is this is one of the panels that no one went to. I was like less than 100 people actually went to it. And I, and it's not surprising. Uh, no one wants to hear about this kind of stuff except for Bitcoiners. Right. Uh, and they were basically talking about how the ultra wealthy uh, have these financial systems and these opportunities that exists for them, and they use these uh, loopholes and these systemic flaws in, in in the financial system globally, and and they use the um, the might of of their ultra elite power to um, to cooperate and and kind of unravel this complex financial network that they've created for themselves. And not only do they um, keep this under wraps. But uh, they they do this uh, in plain sight and nothing happens to them. Uh, and so one of the panels was uh, here at South By. And it was called Flawed Finance. And it was uh, some really, really eye-opening stuff. And I wanted to kind of share this with you all because I felt like, you know, a lot of the stuff that they talk about was equally um, important because this is the stuff that we always talk about. And this is why. Bitcoin wins long term. It's because of stuff like this that uh, Bitcoin will be able to fix it, you know. Um, and so I want to share this with you. And they really go in depth to the whole Panama Papers, Paradise Papers and the FinCEN Files projects. I don't know if you've all ever looked at that, um, but there's a great Hulu documentary on the Panama Papers. If you ever are interested in that, it, it goes really in depth with um some really eye-opening stuff that is really crazy when you really start looking at how deep this really goes. And just shows you how fiat currency is just going the way of the dinosaur. Um, It really is. I mean, all the corruption that goes on in plain sight. Um, So take a listen to this panel today. It's called Flat Finance. Um, And it really preaches to a lot of what we speak about when it when we talk about Bitcoin.
4: All over the world have compliance teams, and those are folks who are supposed to make sure that the bank is complying with the law. And compliance teams include not only on the ground sort of uh, detectives, folks who are out there trying to determine who owns a company or what the money is being used for. These banks also employ uh, very complicated uh, algorithms to try to track and, and 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 understand the money that's flowing into and out of its its faults, and so. When these compliance teams suspect that there is unusual, potentially illicit behavior, they're required by US law to tell the US government they file a document called a Suspicious Activity Report or SAR to the Treasury Department. And the disclosure of these documents has been quite revelatory. You'll have to understand that that, that very few of these documents have ever made their way into the public. And we at BuzzFeed News and our very good friends at ICIJ and our partners around the world were able to extract from them information that showed us the way the system is sort of broken. I think it's important to recognize that there are failures by the banks. The compliance teams often don't know who their customers are. Um, The banks are sometimes disincentivized to stop suspicious transactions quite often we find that they flag the company, they send them to the Treasury Department, but they don't close their accounts. They continue to accept their money. So there's this sort of perverse system whereby bonuses and profits are sometimes, um, you know, the, 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 they belong to you know, illicit, illicit actors. I think at the Treasury Department, we found that in 2019 alone, they received two million of these reports that number has doubled over the past decade, while the staff, the people who are supposed to be, you know, uh, perusing these, these documents, that staff has shrunk by 10%. And so insiders tell us that there's no way that every one of these reports is ever gonna get read. And I think at the, the, the US Justice Department, these documents act, uh, unfortunately, like a get out of jail free card. It, it, it's as though the banks, as long as you file these documents, you are okay, it's when you don't file them that you sort of get, that that the banks um, get some scrutiny or or get in in some kind of trouble. So I think that the system is flawed in, in, in each individual component, the banks, the Treasury Department, who acts as a regulator, and the Justice Department, which is supposed to, you know, sort of investigate these matters.
0: It's about the money, follow the money, that's the expression. So the money, the trillions of dollars in dirty money washing through the global financial system, by the way, not just the United States, uh, furthers criminal activity, in many cases constitutes criminal activity, drug trafficking, human trafficking, terrorism, all kinds of abhorrent criminal activity that no corporate citizen wants to be involved in and the question is what are they doing about it and what are we doing as a society about it and yes we are all responsible if you think about it the suspicious activity report it's about 25 years old 1996 was updated after 9 11 to be more useful in terrorism matters and the like but it's a little bit like putting our finger in the dike Uh, As Anthony indicated, there are millions of these reports that are filed. And if any financial institution or individual believes they can just file the SAR and be done with it, it's it's not just a fig leaf, it's a bit of a hot potato. Here, it's your problem now. And it's not a system that is currently working. It can't be the only thing that we do. And I know that will be the dialogue uh, across our panel discussion. But the government has known since before the Suspicious Activity Report that money laundering is a vast problem. The integrity of our financial system has to be paramount. We talk about the rule of law. Some people think that's sort of uncool. The rule of law is what protects all of us, including against corruption and these horrendous crimes that affect Uh, real people, as you indicated. And government has to elevate the rule of law. We went through four years where that was not the case, right? The rule of law matters. Institutions matter. Government institutions matter. The independence and integrity of our law enforcement entities matter. Intergovernmental cooperation matters. The New York Department of Financial Services can have some impact, but not a heck of a lot by ourselves partnerships with the federal government, partnerships with the global financial regulators, right? Money laundering is a burgeoning problem in Europe. They're taking some measures to address it. But if we operate in silos, we are not going to be effective. And I will further say, and I'm a former federal prosecutor, so I I know wherever I speak, the suspicious activity report is not really being effectively used. It is something that frequently law enforcement looks to after the fact, when they're already conducting an investigation. Let me see what SARS were filed and what do they say? And does that provide me with additional leads? We must get to a place of proactivity. That means government, that means financial institutions. We have to get ahead of it. The risk analysis has to be different. The incentives have to be different. We've got to digitize the data. The institutions that are filing it have to have confidence that it's being read and interpreted. And by the way, maybe we need to add a box that says, thank you for this SAR. Now, what did you actually do about it?
3: Can tell there was a couple Bitcoiners <laughs> in that uh, in that panel when I was watching it today I was just like geez they really <laughs> they really hate all the corruption that's going on you definitely know they're holding Bitcoin uh, yeah it's it's just I mean it's not surprising right um, A lot of what we see right now that's going on you know just in the financial space uh, it's clearly obvious. That uh, the powers that be are, are letting uh, fiat currency just kind of you know inflate into infinity here, and so a lot of people are opting into Bitcoin. They see it as the ultimate store of value, and um, you know myself, y'all included, everybody's buying Bitcoin and just huddling it. Right? I mean, everybody knows where where it's what's going to happen here soon. So uh, it, it's 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 great to see them talking about this on at South by I've never seen a panel like this um, discuss these matters here at South by it's always um, it's it's never like this they never talk about stuff like this at South by it's never this serious Um, seriously like I've never seen them expose global finance (laughs) like this this is this is really big I wish they would have had a Bitcoiner on there to explain all this and talk about how Bitcoin fixes this but you know the the fact that they were just like one hop away from that is, is fine with me but uh, they never talk about stuff like this at South by never see it. You never see it. Um, so it, it's good. It's very good. But the sad part is you had less than 100 people in here, less than 100. And then it actually it's pretty interesting is you you can go in the list and see a, and see the people that were actually who was who was in the who was the attendees. And you have some people from Vanguard. That's interesting, right? Uh, you have some people <laughs> from the Air Force. That's weird. Uh, You have some people from, uh, let's see, Apple? That's interesting. Why would Apple be there? Um, Oh, New York Department of Financial Services. Mm, Interesting. U.S. Department of State. Ah, That's interesting. Bloomberg News. Wow. Uh, So that's what I'm saying. You see a lot of people from a lot of different um, backgrounds in this, in, in here. But yeah, very few people in here. DoorDash, what are they doing in there? <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of different people in here uh watching this panel, myself in there as well, too. Oh, in the FDC. Oh wow, interesting. Um, but it's interesting because when you're when you're actually there physically in person, uh, you can talk to all these people, right? So I can be sitting next to somebody I'm just, you know, shooting the shit with uh and then next thing you know they're like hey what do you do and i'm like oh i'm a podcaster they're like i'm like hey what do you do oh i work for jp morgan oh interesting then you start finding out the inside scoop what's going on at jp morgan Uh, (laughs) and then next thing you know uh you're hanging out drinking drinking beers (laughs) that's what i'm trying to say like it it, it's it's really uh it's a really interesting um it's a it's a it's a lot better experience in, in person i i have to say like after going through a whole day of this and and doing it online it's it's fine um it's a lot easier for me to put together the podcast there's not a lot of walking around but I miss that interaction with people I, I like I'm a people person right so I like being around people I like talking to people I like mingling with people I, I like talking to you know to everybody uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a chatty Kathy, you know I like to go I like to go to I like to go to all sorts of people introduce myself like I'm that type of person so um, yeah, I, I miss that because uh, there is I would have definitely interviewed this lady, Linda Lacewell, right afterwards and asked her a lot of questions and then see if she would have mentioned Bitcoin. OK, um, with all that being said, um, the next one I want to look at here is from an interesting panel from the protests that took place in Hong Kong. And uh, believe it or not, um, they, they were talking about Telegram. They were talking about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies. And how these were vital for these protests uh, that 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 supported their movement, um, and how Bitcoin can not only help save them, uh, but it's it's uh, it's 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 crucial for for them organizing and protesting, you know, and it's uh, it's going to help them hopefully keep them, you know, keep Hong Kong the way it is now because they don't want to you know being this firewall that china has built around them right and i get it right this 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 young lady named glacier quang she she goes in pretty in depth she talks about how she's a digital rights activist born and raised in hong kong and she doesn't want to lose that freedom that she has there and it makes sense so she uses bitcoin and she uses other cryptocurrencies she uses telegram she uses vpn and she does everything that she can to to um to stay uh, ahead from the people that that watch her. It's brutal. Uh, she talks all about it. Uh, so take a listen.
5: form of uh, government control over the internet uh, in mainland China is what I'm sure you've all heard of, the Great Firewall of China, which is a term that we use to mean the system of different filters and blocks and uh, foreign foreign and domestic websites that exist in China. And of course, the Great Firewall is not uh, in one uh, physical location, it's distributed across a, a bunch of different internet service providers and internet gateways. Uh, and so on between China and the rest of the, uh, and the rest of the world. I think one of the big, um, concerns that we all have this year, um, is the spreading of the boundaries of the great firewall, um, and whether Hong Kong might eventually come under the same kind of internet filtering and internet governance as we see in the mainland. And to give you an idea of what that means, Of course, there are specific websites that are blocked in China. For example, if you try to uh if I try to open up my uh uh, my phone and on my China Telecom uh connection and try to connect to Google.com or Facebook.com or any of a number of blocked websites, then the my internet service provider will will see the destination of the request as being a blocked website and will basically drop the request. Um, meaning that I can't actually access it without using something like a VPN to to get beyond these controls. However, the filtering of keywords is not the only kind of filtering, and the filtering of web domains is not the only kind of filtering that's done under the Great Firewall. I think in the last uh, few years, we've seen this escalation um, of controls in in, in mainland China. That means that the Great Firewall is also starting to capture uh, the fingerprints of certain kinds of protocols being used. So if I use a VPN uh, connection but under a certain VPN protocol, for example, OpenVPN or WireGuard or other well-known VPN protocols, that the great firewall is starting to learn to track the fact that you're using some kind of VPN, even if the server that you're connecting to is not a blocked address. And this kind of filtering um, te- technology is obviously very problematic because it means that the people who are designing VPNs and then have to be a step ahead uh, of a system that employs uh, thousands, you know, if not tens and hundreds of thousands of engineers uh, across the country, not just within the government, but also within, uh, within private companies, within internet service providers and so on, uh, within state-owned enterprises uh, to work on the distributed technology of the Great Firewall. And that kind of filtering, I think, if it were to be applied to Hong Kong, would raise a really big issue for the uh, multinationals um, the farm businesses and so on who are currently present in Hong Kong, which is how do we operate uh, under these intense controls?
1: Um, in the last two years, we have witnessed a mass movement, a social movement in Hong Kong that is unprecedented. This is something that is actually very new, even for a lot of activists that are in Hong Kong. Um, for the anti extra bill movement, we rely a lot on internet and technologies to coordinate and organize the movement because this is the first uh, like leaderless movement that has ever happened in Hong Kong. That is to say, there is no top-down manner of having a group of people to decide what people want to do. Basically, people organize among themselves and there is no one to tell them what is the right thing to do in order to keep the movement moving. Most of the efforts that we see on television or on the streets are basically organized by themselves. And this is basically uh, done through social media, communication app and crowdsourcing and so on. And it made the movement uh, and it made it into something that we have never seen before. But at the same time, technologies actually brings us uh, brings us a lot of threats because no matter it is the communication records that we have on a, in a phone or we are um, like clocking in in the shop that is supportive of the movement, it all kind of like expose who we are and where we are and expose us into dangers. So, uh, like in very general sense, because every existence online leaves a trace. That means if you have a trace, that means there's something to track you down. So Hong Kongers inside the movement is currently, uh, it's all the time facing this kind of very delicate, like balance between how do I make use of technology without putting myself in too much risk? For example, uh, we use this telegram a lot in order to organize ourselves because there is this function called a telegram channel and we use it to, deliver messages or convey messages about the movement, for example, like where are the police? How many police are there on the streets? Is there something happening on the street? Who Who is being arrested? And um, is that person uh, gonna get legal assistance and so on? So people actually follow a lot of the, these channels on Telegram in order to get news about the movement that is taking place all over in Hong Kong. And at the same time, we some people are talking about using blockchain technology to document what have happened in Hong Kong. After the incident that took place on the 21st of July in uh, MTR station in Hong Kong, there was a mob attack um, inside the station where police were slow to react. And afterwards, people found out that the police or the government was trying to were trying to um, amend the statements about that offense, so people were worried. And some people started to use blockchain to try to document what actually happened on that day, what actually happened throughout the movement in order to make sure that those facts does not get tempered or amended. And so this is a very new use of the blockchain technology because in Hong Kong, usually people just use Bitcoin to trade or and so on to hide their identity. And at the same time, um, we also see the increased use of digital surveillance. And we see a trend of we're slowly moving towards the route that. China and a lot of Chinese city have gone through. Uh, that is a lot of cameras, a lot of um, apps that you have to use to clock in, especially under the COVID-19 situation. The Hong Kong government made use of the pandemic and introduced an app called Leave Home Safe and required, now requires everyone, if they want to uh, enter a government premises or enter certain premises, to use that app to clock in and clock out so that the government can know uh, wherever they were during that period. And the worrying thing is a lot of people don't find it to be very problematic. They think, oh, I'm not doing it at, during a protest. We are not clocking in during a protest. So that shouldn't be a lot of problem. But to be honest, in the world of data, one plus one, it's bigger than two. I can only deduce that you have been to a restaurant on a certain day that cannot tell a lot about you. But if I can gather your patterns, For example, you always frequent those shops that are supportive of the movement. I can fairly deduce that you are part of the anti-government movement already. Uh, But in Hong Kong, not a lot of people are very worried about that. We are increasingly worried about our digital hygiene and digital security. In general, we are still very um, kind of passive in terms of defending ourselves. And there is a significant change recently because Facebook changed its privacy policy to share uh, WhatsApp data with Facebook. So a lot of people migrated to Signal, that end-to-end encryption app that is open sourced and do not store a lot of data. And that is actually a very positive sign to see the use of data because during the movement, people have been talking about, oh, they have to use end-to-end encryption, for anything that is related to the movement. But now people are migrating to signal on a day, on a daily basis. So they're using signal even for like just regular chit chat between friends. So that is an actually a very positive change in terms of the use of technology for um, under this kind of social circumstances. And at the same time, we have very like creative use of technology as well. For those who have an iPhone, if you were in Hong Kong during 2019, often enough, you will receive airdrop from random strangers on the MTR or on public transport. And those things that they're airdropping to you are actually photos that are telling you about when is the next protest gonna happen? Where is it? And I hope to see you there. So it's actually very warm and very, very on point as well, because you feel like, oh, there's actually people that are very supportive of the movement all around you. And they're telling you, I'm inviting you to this next movement or next protest. I want to see you there and please stay safe and so on. So it's actually, Uh, making that um, uh, pro-democracy camp more uh, closely knitted and you feel like personally very supported by that. So these are some of the use of technology that I see in Hong Kong's movement last year.
2: What's about
3: so it was pretty funny there was one panel um that was talking about the space gold rush and and it's about how gold seekers in california are creating all all these industries uh you know for for space gold and how (laughs) they want to bring more gold from from outer space and, and do asteroid mining um and basically increasing the supply of gold
5: and, you know, we, we uh, were even earlier than, than some of the technologies that Daniel mentioned. So we focused on how do you find uh, resources that are valuable in space and characterize them, right? We really use an analogy to the mining industry where, you know, before you can
3: build a mine, you have to know where to build it. Uh, this just further proves, <laughs> at least to me and to the rest of y'all, why uh, Bitcoin uh, just makes a lot more sense. <laughs> Not only because you don't have to go to space uh, to mine it. But uh, because you can actually, uh, it's finite. Uh, there's only there's only going to be a certain amount. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, there being some in, in space somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I thought that was pretty hilarious when I saw that panel. Uh, okay, that's all we got for you today is Bitcoin fixes this. Tomorrow, we're going to release an Ethereum episode. I'm just so zapped, man. There's just, <laughs> I'm like... I'm like, so like, uh, I think I watched like six or seven panels today. So my mind is just completely zapped and I just, yeah, it's just so much. And then, uh, so we have a lot more episodes coming, so don't worry about that. You're going to get, you're going to get a lot more coming uh, at least one every day for the next, for for the rest of this week, at least. Uh, And then uh, we're still trying to get some interviews lined up, but I think it's just so much harder because you can't trap people. (laughs) you know, in a corner and say, Hey, can I get a quick comment? You know, it's just, it's just tougher because everybody's remote. So um, so we're trying to do that. And then, uh, yeah, I should also mention every, all the music that you're listening to right now is from South by they're all new artists. Uh, Let me give you their names. So, you know, I do do want to mention them because they're all trying to get, get heard. Right. I feel bad for them because they're all struggling musicians. Right. So I went ahead and I put it on my Twitter. I put their, their YouTube um, South by Southwest Music Channel And I'll put it here in the show notes too as well If you want to listen to all the music It's really, really, really good um, So Oh Honey by Neighbor Lady Black Country, New Road by Trek X Sasha and the Valentines is Dead Pony, Sharp Tongues And then what you're listening to right now This is going to send us off Is Merc God Alright, see you all next time